This is Ivarianax, and welcome to The Candid Frame. We're pleased to announce the release of the first in a series of TCF-branded ebooks for 2015. The Candid Frame on Street Photography is a book in which I share tips and techniques that have helped me to develop as a street photographer, and I'm sharing it with you for free. Just sign up for the Candid Frame mailing list by visiting the website or clicking on the link in the show notes. Get it today, read it, and then get out in the street and start shooting. The explosion in interest in street photography has not been relegated to just small communities in New York or the fine art world. Instead, street photography has inspired the imaginations of photographers from all over the world. I don't have to look any further than our own TCF Flickr group to see images not only from the US, but Europe, Asia, and Central and South America. There is something about shooting on the streets, regardless of where you are, which is inspiring people to pick up the camera and capture the theater of the streets. Matt Stewart is one such photographer who discovered photography as part of his involvement in the skating community in Great Britain. Now a professional photographer, Matt has helped to define this generation of street photography alongside his associates at the Street Photography Collective in public. We began the conversation by asking how the world of skate culture helped to develop his interest in street photography. Wow, good question. Um, I, I mean, I skateboarded for about uh, eight years, and there are a lot of similarities between uh, street photography and skateboarding, or especially the skateboarding that I was was doing. Uh, I was a street skateboarder, so I would uh, get up every day and and go out and you know skate stairs or skate handrails or uh, you know skate curbs or skate hills. So. Uh, I mean, one of the first things that, that really, um, I mean, one of the first similarities between the two would be the fact that I spent a lot of time in public places. Um, in, in skateboarding language, you'd, you'd say you, you'd go out to session something. And uh, I guess in uh, street photography language, maybe I went and, I don't know, what, I don't know if this, there's a similar kind of word, maybe I... I stalked, <laughs> but um, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, you spend a lot of time trying to get uh, a trick when you're skateboarding, and you spend a lot of time trying to get a photograph when you're taking, or at least a good photograph when you're taking pictures. Um, and so, I think skateboarding was a was a great uh, school for my street photography because the uh, the similarities were were so so many. One of the things I've heard you talked about is as a skateboarder, you would take a look at the environment and think about it in in relation to the kind of trick you might be able to pull off. Um, was that 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 way of seeing the world around you helpful in terms of how you use elements in in a photograph? Probably not. I mean, with the I mean, I guess there's a similar sort of train of thought. Uh, you well, there's two different ways of of I think of taking a a street photograph or two different ways of going about it. You can either uh, sort of walk and follow something or, or wait for something to turn up in front of you, or you can stop and wait um, and and sort of almost wait for people to, to walk into your frame. So there's the sort of fishing route and there's the following route. And um, 
I think with skateboarding, uh, generally you would, uh, especially with the street skateboarding, you would probably take the fishing route, so to speak, whereas where you would try and try and try uh, a trick in a certain place. You would find a great pair of stairs and, and, and try to make a trick down those stairs over a certain amount of time. Uh, it, it was, it's, I mean, it, in an ideal world, you just go skidding off down the street and you kind of do the follow route, you know, where you just kind of jumping down stairs and hills and it's kind of like a like back to the future but in reality i i, I don't think that happens how about um with relation to you know when you're out on the street making photographs there's a certain getting into a zone you know where you're sort of able to really kind of read what's happening in the street to the point of anticipation yes did that sort of come naturally to you did or 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 no well, with the, I mean, I'm an obsessive. Um, I have, uh, I'm sort of, you know, if I start something, I go at it 150%. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time uh, out, you know, on the street or I spent a lot of time skateboarding. I didn't do anything else. You know, I was probably a, you know, unless you were interested in skateboarding photography, I was a pretty boring date. Um <laughs> And uh, so I think, uh, I mean, that type of way of, uh, of thinking, that way of, uh, I mean, it was ingrained definitely from the skateboarding. Most of, you know, a lot of my friends who skateboarded, uh, who, you know, they, they got really good, they turned pro, they moved to America, they skated in San Francisco. Um, and now they are artists. Uh, you know, I, my friend Simon Evans is a, a great artist. My friend Ed Loftus is a fantastic artist. But they both had the same mentality, this sort of, you know, try, 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 try again. Just, you know, in, until it kills you. You just, <laughs> you just stick with it. Um, and both of them have taken that uh, uh, to their art as well, and and in the same way, I've I've taken taken that philosophy to the way I photograph. I, I you know, I've been out today. I was out yesterday. I spend all of my time out on the streets um, looking for photographs. Did you find that that this skateboarding really sort of taught you that sort of approach? This whole idea is that you go out there, you practice. Most of most of your attempts are going to be failures, but it's all working towards being able to, to pull it off either with a trick in skateboarding, but now in respect to a, a photograph? Absolutely. I mean, with the skateboarding, uh, you know, especially when I was um, skateboarding, it was sort of the, the late 80s, the early 90s. Um, the tricks that were being invented and the progression in skateboarding was phenomenal. So the type of things that we were trying to learn had never been done before. And that was an incredibly exciting time in skateboarding. So some of the tricks that you would try to uh, maneuver, try to make, um, some of them may have never been made in, in your country before. You know, I mean, so you would, it wasn't something you just jumped on the board and did it. Um, you had to try and work it out. You had to try and sort of, you know, decode it. Um, and so... Yeah, it was it was an exciting time, but in the same in the same breath, you know, the the street photography is the same. You have to go out there and you have to try and make pictures that that are different, or pictures that that excite you, or pictures that you hopefully haven't seen before. 
Um, and uh, I mean, the similarities be- between the two is immense. Apart from you don't get hurt too much uh, with the street photography. When you, when you saw the work of uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson and Robert Frank, uh, when your father gave you those books to took a little, to, then uh, that provide you your first sort of entree into the into the genre of, phot- of photography. Mm-hmm. What was it that you were seeing in there that really kind of just excited you, that resonated with you, to the point that you said, "I want to pick up a camera and." and you know, try to make a go at this. Well, I mean, the uh, the the books were sort of best of uh, best of Henri Cartier-Bresson, best of Robert Frank, and you know, those two as a as a combination is is a uh, pretty you know it's, it's pretty heavy hitters. Uh, the the one that that I was most impressed by at the time was the Henri Cartier-Bresson book, uh, and it was literally it was all of his greatest hits and and to be presented with that many fantastic pictures in in one sort of greatest hits album um really not my socks off it it was the the way he composed pictures it was the way he captured moments it was also he 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 spent so long doing it he was at you know various great historical events you know gandhi's funeral he was um you know the, the coronation in the uk there was so many things that he, that he saw over his lifetime just to be presented by those photographically um was was really really impressive i mean the at, at school i wasn't uh, I've said before I wasn't particularly a great scholar, but uh, one of the things that I, I, I did find interesting was history, uh, and so having uh, a book showing a, sort of some of the greatest moments in the 20th century presented to you, you know, well composed and captured moments was was really uh, appealing to me. So when you started taking to the streets, um, what were you what were you drawn to? What was what did you feel like was real great fodder for your for your photographs? Uh, well, I mean, when I started out, I just wanted to take pictures like Henri Cartier-Bresson and Robert Frank. You know, I uh, uh, so, so you you just want to go out and 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 make pictures like they did, and uh, that was the the first thing that I really tried to do. And I and for for two or three years, I uh, you know I, I bought this uh, camera, this Leica camera, and went out and tried to make pictures like them and I would bring them back to my flatmate and show him, you know, what, what I'd been doing and say, you know, what do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? And I, I would always get that sort of slightly delayed sort of silence, um, uh, which meant that they weren't really very good. So for, for two or three years, I, I wasn't really uh, um, making photographs that, that were, were that interesting. But I think that happens with a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, you're trying to find your feet. What, so what did it take for it to finally click for you? When did you come to the point where you were able to produce images that were, in your eyes, successful? I, again, well, my father, again, uh, the, the man who bought me the two books, he, he uh, saw the sort of glimmer of interest and hope uh, in me when, he, when he'd given me these books and, and realized that we were onto something. Because up until that point, I was uh, you know high school dropout um, had given up skateboarding and I was working in a customer services um, uh, complaint center so I wasn't sort of uh, having much fun at the time um, and he he saw that sort of that that spark of interest and uh, he sent me on a course with a guy called Leonard Freed um, who oh, yeah, is a so. famous Magnum photographer he's uh, unfortunately he's, he's dead now but he um, sent me on a, a weekend long course uh, a workshop. Uh, there were maybe 
15 other photographers on the workshop, including Tim Hetherington, who became a very good friend of mine. Uh, and we all learned from Leonard. We sort of went out and shot with Leonard around the beach and saw how Leonard worked. And also sort of he debunked uh, some of the, the, the ideas that I had in my head about the decisive moment. Maybe, you know, I always thought that you just took one picture and it was going to, you were struggling for that one photograph. Um, but he quickly made us realize that you, you may shoot, you know, 10, 15 photographs of a scene. And one of those images was, was the, the perfect one. So a lot of those things, um, you know, I learned a lot of those things. I learned a lot about, about about how to focus the Leica camera quickly. I learned about hyperfocal distance, which is sort of setting your camera um, at a certain focal length uh, and and things becoming sharp without having to focus the camera. Um, I also learned about, I mean, just from watching him, you know, the body language that he that he used to to get close to people to make photographs and how he was. Uh, when he photographed and how he he behaved and how he moved, so that weekend was really a, a, a massive eye opener for me. And um, from that point onwards, I, I think uh, you know, a having seen him work, b having been in a you know on a workshop surrounded by similar people who were all as enthusiastic as I was, if not more, uh, really sparked the uh, fire. So, what what do you think was the the biggest challenge for you? Uh, in terms of developing as a street photographer during the, during that time, uh, well, I, I expect it's the it's a, it's a sort of cliche, but it's the uh, you know taking photographs of people in public places. How to go about doing that? Um, it was, um, I mean, technically you get over that pretty quickly. I think as long as you're interested, you you learn how to use a camera um, reasonably quickly. But I think the uh, the nerves, the the confidence to photograph people in public places was the was the main one, and um, I got over that reasonably quickly too. I'm, I mean, I'm a I'm not a particularly shy person, but it's still is something you have to learn. And um, I sort of quickly came to the conclusion that if I didn't sort of pluck up the courage, I wouldn't get the photograph. And I was more upset about not getting the photograph than uh, my sort of waning courage. I was recently asked a question about street photography, uh, about how much of it is just, you know, sort of pure luck in you know, sort of happenstance and just being lucky to be present at the moment that something interesting is happening versus something that's sort of uh, built by taking all these disparate elements and sort of putting them together and then waiting for that one sort of, you know, creative flourish, whether it's a person walking into the frame or something else in order to sort of make the shot. For you, how do you sort of balance the, the two when you're, when you're out there photographing? Well, I'm, I, I believe I'm intrinsically lucky. Uh, I, I really do. I, I, I think that, that helps. Um, I also spent a great deal of time doing uh, street photography. I'm actually out uh, looking for things. Um, and there's a famous... Gary Player quote that, that says, um, you know, it's it's funny that the more I practice, the luckier I get. Mm. Um, and I completely believe in that. I, I believe, you know, you, you have to be out there in order to uh, have a chance. And, and the more you're out there, the more lucky you're going to get. So the people who, you know, come, come back with fantastic pictures but only go out once a month, uh, a few and far between in the street photography game. So how often are you getting out there? I, well, I'm out there most days. Um, if I'm not uh, working to, to make a living, I'm 
out on the street. Um, I, I have different levels. Uh, I recently interviewed by Blake Andrews. I have different levels of uh, interest uh, on those days. You know, some days I just go out to make sure that nothing is happening. Um, uh, whereas some days I'm really in it, you know, really excited and sort of in the zone. But I'm out there most days. I always have a camera with me. I'll always, um, I always photograph in London. I don't generally photograph in other places as much. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer of, um, you know, if you're going to do something, do it, do it where you live, because then you can really immerse yourself in it. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that you were working at a, at a call center at some point, and then you started, you know, picking up photography. But as far as you know, being able to earn an income, there there isn't much call for a street photography. In, in the one ends. So how did you, <laughs> no, no. So how You're did right. you make that transition from being at that job that you obviously weren't particularly fond of to the point where you're able to make a decent living, uh, in doing what you, what you love? Well, I've, I mean, I, I started out, I was very lucky. Um, I, uh, so I was working, um, in the call center. Then I got a job working as a, as an assistant, as a photo assistant. And uh, I spent three years working with a, a photographer who was extremely busy. Um, and I got to see how he ran his business, um, how he, you know, how he uh, would travel, how he spoke to clients, how he invoiced, how he did tax returns. So I sort of learned this kind of um, the business side of photography from him. But at the same time, I was taking photographs for myself. Um, and after three years of working with him, I had a decent portfolio that I, well, a good enough portfolio. Everyone's, no one ever has a finished portfolio. But um, I had a, a portfolio that was reasonably good with street photography in it. And uh, I got some postcards printed. I got uh, four of my black and white photographs printed uh, and got 4,000 postcards back and decided to send all these postcards out to, you know, design agencies, newspapers, magazines, advertising agencies. So I sent these 1,000 postcards out and I got, um, this was pre-internet, uh, This I, I got 10 phone calls um, saying thanks for the postcards, which was great from 1,000. Um, I got three requests to see my portfolio. Uh, so I went in and showed three people, three different companies, my portfolio, and I got one job. So that was the hit rate from a thousand, mm. a thousand postcards send out. Uh, but the one job that I got was a, a job uh, doing an annual report, but it was a quite a coveted annual report. It was for a company called British Land, and I was asked to spend a month photographing archaeologists um, and and the Museum of London, which is a famous museum in the center of London. So I was kind of given this sort of reportage um, commission and uh, spent a month shooting that. And uh, that that went down really well. And, you know, I put everything into it. And um, and then from that point onwards, I had a something actually, you know, printed, a real job. Um, and, and from there, I, I kind of never really looked back. I got phone calls and people wanting to do similar kind of stuff for them, which was, which was great. How was that experience shooting on commission as compared to what you typically did on the street? Um, did you have to dramatically change how you how you shoot and how you think about photographs? Well, no, I mean, for, for this particular commission, they said, come in and do exactly as you would on the street. We don't want you to, you know, bruise any other situations. Just come in, photograph what you see and, uh, you know, leave without um, sort of messing anything up <laughs> uh, and so that that's one way of working but then as I progressed and as I worked more I was also asked to do advertising which 
uh, I hadn't done before uh, to, to that point. But advertising is completely different, and that is 100%. Uh, structured, 100% made. You know, you have models, you have scenes, and you have things you have to tick off. And and I started doing that as well, which is completely different uh, to street photography, and completely different to uh, you know going into someone's business and sort of being a fly on the wall. Um, and but so those were became the two two ways that I I would make a living, either doing what I did on the street, but in someone else's arena, or doing something for advertising, which is a com- you know, as I said, completely different. Well, when you're working on commission and someone has a um, a pre-established vision for what they want, <clears throat> um, does it place? Does it become a little more difficult for you to sort of rewire your brain in terms of the kind uh, how you how you photograph and how you go about the process of making a photograph because you're trying to satisfy a client? I think you know sometimes when I've had experiences, I sometimes uh, have forgotten what works for me as a photographer because I'm trying to meet what the client's expecting of me. And then I end up going against what comes naturally to me. And I'm wondering what what that's like for you and what do you do to ensure that you're still sort of, you're sticking to those, those, those principles, those ideas, those, that, that approach that makes you a successful photographer. Well, the first thing I, I do is I, I split my brain in two. So I have the work that I do for my passion um, you know, the street photography, and then I have work that I have to make money, make a living from in order to, to sustain the passion. So um, when, I'm, when I'm on a commission, I generally um, try to get what the, the, the creative or the person I'm working with wants first. I make sure that I have their photograph in the bag and that they're happy because they are your customer at the end of the day. And, and if you have a happy customer, then everything's fine. If you don't have a happy customer, then you're going to have problems. Um, and so I generally get what they want in the bag first. And then I, once I know that I've got that, I say, listen, can I just do my thing now? And I do my thing. And, you know, half the time they prefer my thing. But as long as you've got the, the security of having their picture in the bag, then uh, everything's good, but I've, I've, I've learned the hard way to make sure that I get their picture first. Uh, and, and the picture that, that I might want secondary to that. Um, uh, because like, like I mentioned they're you know, they're the customer, they come first. Uh, in terms of community, I know that you, you started in public with some other ph- photographers, but uh, well, I didn't, I didn't start it. No, uh, Nick Turpin started it in 2000. And okay. then, uh, David Gibson, myself, and Richard Bram uh, were inv- invited to join. Oh, okay. So, tell me about the importance of, of community, uh, either before or or during your your time with in public in terms of your development as a photographer. How important was it to to have sort of like minded people in your in your in your creative circle? It was extremely important. Um, I mean, when we all got together, it was around 2000. And then uh, I went to Australia and um, uh, to shoot the uh, Sydney uh, uh, Paralympics. Um, and I was in a bookshop there and I picked up this book uh, by a guy called Trent Park, uh, which book was called Dream Life. And um, I was pretty blown away by his work and I got in touch with him. And said, you know, it'd be great to get get you uh, on in public. And he he was really keen to join. And his um, 
uh, girlfriend, Narelle, uh, he suggested she should join. She was also really a great photographer. And so this sort of community, very early early days when we're all sort of really getting into it, although Trent had been doing it for a lot longer at that stage, um, it, it was a real buzz because, you know, we, we had to set up a discussion board where we could all talk. So, you know, the internet had just started, basically. So suddenly you can talk to someone in Australia. Someone you can, suddenly you can talk to someone in New York. Um, and uh, and so every day we would be posting different pictures up. But you know, at this time Trent was taking. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the one of his famous pictures. This sort of white white old man, this ghostly sort of white silhouetted man walking uh, into the sunshine. I don't know if you've seen this photograph. But I think I have. Yeah. He, he he posted that up one day. You know, he took it the week before, and he was like, "What do you think of this?" <laughs> he like. Jeez, I've never seen anything like that in my life before. Uh, but but actually, sort of to be uh, seeing that happen in real time was was really uh, inspiring. Uh, and then and then subsequently we had um, Gus Gus Powell and Christopher Gu, Melanie Einzig uh, join. I went out to New York and, and met them. And and then suddenly there's a sort of you know another branch of photographers all posting up pictures that they'd taken, you know few days before or on the very day and um it was extremely inspiring and getting feedback from all over the world from people who you respect i mean uh, it, it was a great time it was um that was good how would you say it, it influenced or, or changed the way that you shoot well i mean to, to have feedback from people who you respect you know people who whose opinion you respect whose photography you respect is is really uh it's essential i i think i believe because uh i mean we we all get attached to our, the pictures we take and the time that we were taking them or the place we were taking them or you know the smells we were smelling or the feelings we were feeling but when you bring them back and stick them up in front of someone who's on the other side of the world who didn't know what you were feeling or how you know where you were at the time and just looks at, at a photograph and says well this is good or this is bad and this is the reason why um it's extremely helpful and it um you know as a tool to for your progression i think it, it really speeds everything up and it thickens your skin i bet Oh yeah, I mean, especially <laughs> early days on the uh, in public discussion board, we would uh, all you know fall out in various ways for <laughs> for, 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 for a while. But um, we we realised pretty quickly that one of the um, one of the the weaknesses of, of you know the typed word, uh, as, as I'm sure you you're aware of, is that there's no tone of voice, and so uh, you know, and also you, you can have someone you know log into the discussion board in Australia at sort of midnight and sort of who's just come home from the pub and you you're putting your picture up at sort of eight thirty in the morning. There's all different time zones. There's different things like that, and and people can easily get the wrong end of the stick, especially where, like I said, there's no tone of voice. If you are interested in street photography and will be in Los Angeles on April 25th, join me for a day for my workshop in downtown Los Angeles. Held through the Los Angeles Center of Photography, I'll introduce you to the world of street photography and then we'll travel to downtown Los Angeles. We'll then return to the studio for a critique of some of the images that you've produced for the day. It's a complete experience that I don't want you to miss. Spots are limited, so sign up today by either visiting the Los Angeles Center of Photography website or clicking on the link in the show notes or on our website. I hope to see you there.
You know, when I look at some of my images, I can look at certain photographs and feel like that there was a turning point as a result of me making that photograph. Like uh, I have a photograph and it, it, it reminds me of creating images with a sense of depth that, that's layered, for example, which is something I've always aspired to do mm -hmm. in my photographs. And I'm wondering, do you have one or two photographs that have done something similar to you that have sort of been uh, really pivotal in terms of you making a, uh, a leap or a big transformation in terms of what you do with the camera? Um, well, I, with the, with the early work that I shot, the black and white work, um, I took a picture of the millennium wheel, uh, a man looking at the millennium wheel with a wheel strapped to his back. Um, that was a sort of probably my first good photograph. Um, that was taken shortly after being on the course with Leonard. And, um, that was a, a sort of uh, uh, one that I was really pleased with. And I remember sort of bringing that back and showing that to my mum, who's generally a good sort of uh, <laughs> a good scale of uh, enthusiasm. And, sh and she thought that was great. So uh, that was that was my first picture that I was happy with. Um, I, I mean, then there's the picture that's on the front of street photography now, which is the pigeon picture, which seems to follow me everywhere. Um, that was uh, a, a, a picture that when I showed it to people, they were, you know, thought it was extremely good. Um, and then let's see, I don't know. I, th I mean, those, those two, you know, my first really good black and white photograph, my first really good color photograph, those two pretty much stand out. Can you tell me about that, that, uh, picture with with the pigeon because I look at that picture and I'm always trying to figure out how it happened and how you captured it because well, it's, it's interesting I've just been uh, going through all my negatives um, to, to uh, just check that I haven't left anything out for this book that I'm working on and I spent a lot of time photographing pigeons and um, especially in the early days and I was photographing through the pigeons like this like that shot so photographing what was on the other end of the pigeon, if you know what I mean. So, mm -hmm. so the pigeon was out of focus. So I was doing that quite a lot. I've got a lot of photographs of, I was sort of trying this, um, at curb level, uh, type of thing. Um, and on, on the day that I took it, I was, I remember it was pretty, I was pretty bored. I'd gone and sat down on the steps at Trafalgar square cause I was bored. Um, and then I noticed the, the clean white wall in the background and just waited, um, and, and shot people walking through, um, you know, different legs walking through the scene. And the fact that I'd been there for such an, a long time in one space uh, meant that the, the pigeons got really close. Uh, and at one point, one just walked through and I pressed the button and mainly for the pigeon. Uh, but I did, you know, when you sort of feel that something was right, you know, you have that inkling. But I obviously didn't see the whole photograph through the viewfinder. It would have been too quick. But I've, I felt that something interesting had happened in the top right hand corner as well um and uh, when i got the negatives back you know I, I had maybe 30 pictures of legs walking backwards and forwards but there was one where the pigeon had walked walked through and you know his leg was up and the other legs were you know doing what they were doing and um uh, i was yeah i was really happy but it, it was a lucky photograph um and uh, i i know that a pigeon walked, through, walked past a viewfinder but not much more because it's a remarkable and just in, in timing, uh, a yeah. split second yeah, before it, and after, it, it, and that shot wouldn't be nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, I could, I could, I could, uh, I could, uh, you know, I could lie to you and say that, you know, oh, I saw it all and blah blah blah. But it, it was, it was luck. Um, I saw, I saw the pigeon, and I pretty much <laughs> know that I got a pigeon in the picture. Um, and I felt something had happened in the in the top right hand corner, but I didn't know what had happened until I got the until I got the negatives well, back. I, I attribute more than luck to that because I think it, it, there's a, there's a certain approach when you're working on the street that makes such lucky opportunities happen and you know by you know lingering in a spot making more than one image really sort of oh, observing absolutely. and taking a yeah i mean I, I was speaking again to blake about this it's time just you know if you give yourself time you're more like things are more likely to happen so if you spend you know half an hour an hour sitting on a step looking at a blank wall um, and waiting for things to walk past your camera um there's a high chance that you're going to get something so that's a little bit more than than interesting, but or, or you know, or at least interesting. But um, it, it is all to do with time. I mean, if you go out for five minutes with your camera and expect to get something, um, you know, good luck. But if you spend a lot of time uh, doing this, you're more receptive to it. Also, I, I strongly believe having a positive attitude to it uh, is important. If you go out there and you know, with a uh, a real sort of joy. Uh, uh, sort of about the world, about the things you're seeing, and a real connection with the things you're seeing, you you get extremely tuned in. You know? and I, I think that's um, that's intrinsic to it as well. You have to be receptive to all these things. You have to, you know, you have to fall in love with those feet that are walking past your camera. You have to, you know, be excited by the pigeon that you know walks a couple of feet away from your camera as you're waiting there and if you're not then you're you're not going to press the shutter and you're not you're probably not going to get the photograph so tell me about photographing in in, in london you photographed in various cities um but and a lot of people associate street photography with classic new york mm -hmm. but you know there's a lot of photography happening in cities all over the world but i really would love to hear what you feel it's like to be a street photographer there London is, is, is it's interesting. It's extremely busy. Uh, it's a pretty big city, but all, the actual sort of what I would call the West End of the city uh, is, isn't huge. It's, um, uh, you know, it's about the size of Manhattan. And um, the, yeah, the amount of people that come to London, it's, it's one of the most multicultural cities in the world. We have pretty much everyone here uh it's it's colorful on a on a sunny day i mean one of the obviously one of the down points is that during the winter it gets pretty sort of gray and and rainy but uh you kind of have to embrace that as well um you, you don't want your pictures just to, to be sort of sunny sort of happy looking photographs because it's not a not a, an accurate representation of the place uh it's 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 good people generally don't care too much about you photographing them um it's uh it's got a lot of street photographers here there's a lot of there's a big photography following street photography following here and um I'd say it's actually a, it's a pretty safe city as well. It's not uh, it's not hugely dangerous. Uh, it has this, I mean it, it's extremely similar to to New York now. I would say. Well, um, for our, for for a while, I was reading about issues with photographers and, and police mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. terms of you know photographers being detained and being told that they can't photograph, and it was 
Yeah, just a, a big deal for for quite a bit. Has has much changed there? Is that a still a, a, a concern if you're out there photographing and 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 being detained? Mm, nah, I mean it's it, it was after the seventh of July, the seven seven bombings. It was um, we had a different sort of terror level here, which uh, magnified the uh, uh, sort of the, the problems that photographers had. Uh, you know, there was sort of the uh, the worry that we were sort of yeah, uh, scoping out places to to cause trouble with, but um, that died down, um, and the law changed again. I mean, I've, I have noticed it a little bit more again recently. Again, it's it's to do with uh, terror threats, but um, generally, I mean, the the stuff you hear about is is when the photographer is complaining <laughs> to the to the law enforcement, you know, official or whatever. I mean, I mean, it's generally you get asked your name, you get asked your address, and you get asked what you're doing, and they fill in a little form and you sign it, and then you carry on your merry way. But if you start kicking up a kicking up a fuss and it can get a, a little bit more tricky but uh, i generally avoid those kind of situations well you, you use uh, the leica uh, system and mm -hmm. what do you find is is so appealing to you in terms of using that camera as opposed to something else uh, for producing your photographs well it's it's small it's compact it's quiet uh, the lenses are um, pretty much the best lenses you can can put on a camera um it's it's nice to use you know it's, it's actually it's like cutting cheese with a sharp knife it's just uh it feels good uh you're in complete control of it i mean i'm a control freak anyway but uh i, I like the fact that it's it's manual you know I, I can set the camera to to do what i want it to do um whereas you know with a lot of other cameras you uh, especially I, I i find that i you know get the exposure wrong because it's busy thinking for me um or it's busy focusing for me or you know i prefer to get it wrong myself and um you know with the with the Leica, there's two or three things you need to know and that's it you need to know how to focus it you need to know what the shutter speed is you need to know what the exposure is everything else you know there's there's, there's, there's nothing else to worry about yeah. Are you shooting both film and digital at this point? I have, um, for my uh, personal work, the street work, I shoot uh, only, only on film um, in London. Uh, what I have started doing recently is if I go to New York, if I go to LA, if I, I'm due to go to Australia next week, I'll take my digital um, M uh, just purely down to the fact that I haven't been shooting film in any of those places very much before. And uh, when I, when I you know, go away, I, I end up shooting quite a lot because, you know, I'm, I meet up with friends or I go out and shoot on the street in new places and, you know, suddenly find that I've shot sort of 50 rolls of film that I can't afford to develop. So uh, I'm, I, I shoot the digital camera when I'm away, but, but when I'm in London, I only shoot film. Can you talk to me about your editing process? Not so much about how you process your, 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 your images, but rather how you end up choosing which images are going to see the light of day, uh, whether it's in a book or, or an ex exhibition or online. Um, do you immediately take a look at the pictures after you make them? Do you del delay uh, looking at the pictures. No, 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 no. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm impatient on the film front. I'm patient as far as you know, trying to get the photograph. But once I think I've got the photograph, I'm extremely impatient. <laughs> and uh, you know, I've been known to take a roll out of the camera before it's finished in order to get it down to the lab. Um, oh wow! So, so uh, I 
take take the photograph, uh, pull the pull the roll out when it's finished, take it down to the lab at the end of the day, hope to get it back by the end of the day. Uh, like I got a roll developed today and picked it up at the end of the day. Um, I look through the uh, negatives. I don't get contact sheets done because it's too expensive. And uh, I look through the negatives and try and pick out a photograph uh, that I'm happy with. Um, uh, if I if there's something that's half decent i'll i'll scan it and 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 see what it looks like as a as a positive image uh, and and if it's good then i'll i'll get it drum scanned and um uh and and save it to the the hard drive so what what is it about the the film uh that you appeals to you i know that you just had been producing you had started producing stuff on film and i guess you just wanted to keep consistent but is there another reason well i i mean one of the primary things is consistency uh, if you're working on a book i think it's important to uh, have a visual sort of continuity and i, I do believe that digital and, and film look look very different uh, although i know you can add grain to digital pictures and blah 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 but i think uh, at, at the end of the day you know film has its its tone of voice and and how it feels um the other thing i i like about film which are you know, because there's there's not much else going for it as far you know it costs a lot to do it but but I, I I like the process of it I like putting the film in the camera I like going out and taking photographs without knowing what's on the back of the camera uh, I like the tangibility of film I like the fact that I can put that roll in my pocket and I know it's there um, I like the relationship between um, the developed film and the light box and the loop I like that um, you know that that the excitement that I get when when I, I you know discover something on the uh, on, on the on the negative um, and, and to a certain extent the, the degree of separation between taking the picture and looking at the picture I like the, the the length of time between that even though I get the film pretty much developed on the same day I like the fact that there is a de- degree of separation with digital you you take it and you look at it within seconds and and you you know whether you've got it or not and i i prefer to uh have a a little bit of separation between the uh taking and looking do you find that because you're limited to 24 or 36 exposures on on each roll that it it changes how you shoot when you're on the on the street no no i shoot uh, if i'm honest i i i don't let it uh hold me back if i see something that i'm interested in i'll shoot um as if i was uh shooting digitally but uh I, you know not sort of spraying and praying but you know i would i will take enough photographs to know that i've got it i'm not um extremely thrifty with it you know i i uh uh, i think if you start i mean i concentrate when i'm photographing with film uh, probably more than i do when i'm shooting digital because digital is essentially sort of free um but the the way i shoot film is is pretty much the, the same as the way i'd shoot digital i don't have much difference between the two uh, what can you tell us about the, the the book that you're working on? Well, it's it's uh, it's been a long time in in the making. I'm working with a, a lovely man called Stuart Smith, who does a lot of uh, he work. He, he's got a publishing company called Ghost, and uh, he uh, was put onto me by Joanna Nurath, who um, works at Thames and Hudson, and. Um, I've been working with him for a couple of years now. <laughs> We've been, we got on really well. We have uh, fun whenever we get together and, um, We've been trying to put put the book together for yeah for about a couple of years. We've we've uh, sort of finished it a couple of times and then decided it wasn't good enough and then uh, started all over again. Um, and um, the book's called All That Life Can Afford. And um, we are due to 
kind of complete the the final edit uh, next week. Oh, cool! I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I mean, I'm slightly, uh, you know, it's, it's like having a baby, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 once it's out there, you can't take it back. Um, but um, I'm, uh, I'm excited by it, and uh, I've enjoyed the process. So, so you know, whether it's a hit or a, or a miss, I'm, I, I'm not too concerned. I'm just pleased to have have done something um, properly, you know, and, and I feel feel happy. By the, the whole again by the whole process. So when do you think uh, it'll be out? Probably fall, uh, sort of autumn. Uh, we, oh, I mean, we don't have a cover for it yet. Um, we, uh, I need to get the essay put in. I need to, you know, we need to juggle it around a bit, and um, and then we need to go off and get it printed. I need to set up stuff on, on you know, my website and things like that for people to buy the book, and uh, so. I would say realistically, it will be uh, be autumn. Oh, awesome! Well, I'll be glad uh, to spread I, the I word. Think, and the other thing is, it's like for photo books, the there's, they, it's like fashion. It's like spring and fall are the the big the big times for photo books, and um, generally, not a lot is done during the summer. Um, as far as sort of, you know, there's not not many fairs or festivals. It's sort of a bit of a quiet time. So I I can see it sort of really getting going in the autumn. Well, I'll spread the word as soon as it's out. Fantastic. I'll have to get some stickers. Stickers and postcards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for Mm -hmm. our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. And so who would that one photographer be and why? Wow. That's a, that's a big question. Um, uh, one that I've I've met recently, or uh, although I, I've I've known the work for a long time, but I met the guy recently was Thomas Roma. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he works in uh, New York. He lives in Brooklyn, and um, he's an uh, extremely interesting photographer. He's um, he for a start he makes his own cameras, um, grinds his own lenses. Um, and, wow. Uh, he he's done fifteen or sixteen books, and uh, all very different. Um, he's um, I mean he's a he's a lovely guy, interesting man, um, but but also he's sort of he's a complete photographer. He's a, he's the real deal, and uh, I would um, I would recommend him uh, definitely recommend him to, to go and check out his stuff. He's got. Um, a book uh, due out shortly called In the Vale of Kashmir, uh, which is uh, really interesting. It's um, taken in a park uh, near his home in Brooklyn, and it's a, a, a park where a lot of um, men go cruising uh, each other. And uh, Tom decided to to go there and, and photograph the, the men in this part of the park, and uh, he took his uh, took his camera and uh, asked to make portraits of, of the guys there. And ninety eight percent of the guys there told him. Uh, in no uncertain terms to go away <laughs> and uh, and go away quickly um, uh, but two percent of them said yes uh, and so he made he's made these amazing portraits of these guys and um, he also had a secret camera with him as well uh, which uh, he, I believe he made and uh, took pictures of people sort of actually cruising him uh, as he was walking down the, oh, uh, wow. the within the in the park so he's got this really interesting um, project uh, and, and whenever he went there and he didn't get a 
didn't get a photograph or didn't get a portrait. He would photograph the tree. There'd be a tree in this park that he'd photograph. And he, he's got pictures of the tree throughout the book um, uh, taken at different points of the year, uh, which is quite a nice uh, sort of punctuation throughout the book. Um, I, I haven't seen it yet. It's not been printed. It's uh, due to be printed in uh, July by Powerhouse Books. Um, but it's definitely on my, uh, it's, it's on my hit list. Yeah, fascinating. Really, I mean, really amazing project, amazing man, uh, and worth looking looking up. So, where can people go to find out more about you and, and your work? Um, well, my um, well, obviously in public uh, in hyphenpublic dot com, uh, and there's another twenty two, twenty three. I don't know how many there are now photographers on there. Um, so, if you don't like my work, you're bound to like <laughs> someone's. <laughs> um, I have my website mattstuart.com, s t u a r t. Um, and I'm, I'm doing uh, workshops with uh, Leica um, and more and more now. I'm, I'm hoping to do a workshop in Washington uh, in June, May, June, and a workshop in New York with uh, Richard Bram uh, for Leica in New York as well around June, early June. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for your time. I really appreciate you. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Time. It's a real pleasure. And thank you very much for asking me to uh, come on the show. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50, or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.